0: this week on Hope for the Broken. Even with the advancement in technology in the area of communication, actual fruitful communication has decreased. With all the advancement in communication devices, communicating with one another remains a challenge. And this is certainly the case when it comes to the marriage relationship. For marriage to be the way God designed it, it's gotta be something that you and I work at. And I believe that if we will develop this skill, we will experience relationships the way God intended Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Biblical Family in a Modern World. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part eight titled, Keys to Communication. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32 this morning as we continue our study in a message series, a teaching series that we've entitled A Biblical Family in a Modern World. And we're looking at biblical principles for marriage and for our families. We're turning to the scriptures for that. We've got this week and then two more weeks Left of our study. And and by the way, two weeks from now, we'll be celebrating family dedication. So if you would like to participate in family dedication, we would love to connect you uh, in doing that. You can see Candy Dorsey, and it will be a great, great time of our church surrounding you, encouraging you, praying for you, cheering you as parents on as you seek to raise godly kids. But in our series, we've talked thus far about God's design for marriage. We talked about building godly homes and not just building houses. We talked about the differing roles of husband and wife. We've talked about the challenge of raising godly kids. And we've talked about money matters and last week, intimacy. Today, we turn to uh, discussing the keys to communication in marriage, the keys to communication. Now, remember, I'm not a marriage expert. Uh, You only have to ask my wife, and she will volunteer that information freely to you. That I'm not a marriage and family expert, especially in the area of communication, that is certainly the case too. I am a work in progress. But you know, it's amazing to think about how far we've come in the development of technology regarding the way in which we communicate with one another, right? You think about all of the technology that is available to us nowadays, uh, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, Just take telephones, for example. The very first telephone was introduced in 1879 and looked something like this. Now, whenever I look at that, you guys, like I see a human looking back at me like that. I don't know why I would want to speak into something that looks like it's trying to kiss me. Right. But that was the first that was the first telephone. Then around the turn of the century in 1900, the phone got to be a little more mobile right there's here's a picture of of that phone but you were still bound by by the wires uh, you can move around a little bit but there was only a certain, so much wire then came the rotary phone anybody ever use a rotary phone looks like this okay uh, my grandmother had one uh, it would take five minutes to dial a number right you would and then wait for it to come back before you dial the next number uh, then in the 80s these phones came along anybody on a phone like that right now, if you are a teenager of the '80s, you know what you did to those phones. You went and bought an extra long cord, right, so that you could turn the corner of the hallway and have your own private conversation, right? Those—that was the phone uh, phone of the '80s. Uh, I remember when cordless phones uh, first came out. We we purchased a phone. Remember, you would pull the telescoping antenna out, and if if you held your head a certain way, you could tune in to other conversations. You guys remember eavesdropping in on those? It's kind of crazy. Then came car phones, and they looked something like this. This is a massive mobile device. You you could carry that places, but it was like going to the airport with your luggage, right? Uh, it would drape over your over your shoulders like a giant heavy purse. And then I can remember the Christmas that my dad got my mom this phone right here. This is. The first cell phone I can remember, and I remember it came like I wanted to. I wanted to call people on it. Like this was the coolest thing in the world. My dad says, "Be careful. We only have ten minutes a month, right?" Can you imagine operating uh, with ten minutes a month nowadays? Certainly not texting, right? And then, and then the the cell phone became more and more developed, and we came out. Nokia came out with this line of cell phones. These were the best. These were the phones, anybody own a Nokia phone like this? These were the phones when you would drop it, you didn't even look at it because you knew it was like a brick, right? It was indestructible, right? Uh, and then and then there were flip phones, the razors, you know, and then, and then came the phone that really began to revolutionize the cell phone world, and that was the BlackBerry, right? Anybody ever have a BlackBerry, right? This is the first time that we got to know about PDA, not Public Display of Affection, uh, but a Personal Digital Assistant right you could do email from this phone you could send text messages you could call i mean it was it was awesome you could you could carry your calendar here and then of course iphone then took over the world and now runs our entire lives and listens to us right that's true statement right y'all y'all ever talk about something and then scroll facebook and see the ad for it right that's because Siri's listening right Siri is listening uh, but here's the thing even with the advancement and technology In the area of communication, actual fruitful communication has decreased. Uh, Communication, even, even with the technology that we have, it has actually decreased. According to a study that I read this week, smartphones have had a negative impact on our communication skills. The study revealed that writing skills have suffered as text language has emerged. Right? You see that happen all the time. Our kids want to text and research papers. And we're like, no, you can't do that. That's that's against the rules, right? You can't use emojis in a research paper. Right? The study also showed that speaking and listening skills have decreased. And of course, phones have had a major impact on social interactions. Right? We see that. With all the advancement in communication devices, communicating with one another remains a challenge. And this is certainly the case when it comes to the marriage relationship. Communication is a challenge for us. And if you would say, hey, you know what, the, the communication in our marriage could increase, what I would tell you is simply join the club. We're we're all in the same boat when it comes to that. According to a recent poll, 70% of Americans think that good communication is the most important factor in a happy marriage. But that same poll also found out that a lack of communication is a leading cause in divorce. It is cited as irreconcilable differences, right? For marriage to be the way God designed it, for it to be good and fulfilling, it's got to be something that you and I work at. We have to work at... Uh, give attention to, give effort to establishing good communication in marriage. And I believe that if we will develop this skill, we will experience relationships the way God intended. And by the way, it's in my experience that we don't naturally drift towards good communication, do we? Left up to drifting, we will drift apart from one another. And that is certainly the case in the marriage relationship. So we've got to work hard at communicating with others. So today, I want us to look at the keys to good communication in marriage. We're going to look at the parts of effective communication. We're going to look at the principles of effective communication. And then we're going to look at the practice of effective communication. I want to give you a few practical steps here of things that I am learning in, in my own life. But first, let's talk about the parts of effective communication. What are the parts that go into, what are the components that go into making communicating with one another happen? Well, there's different styles, there's different elements that all work together to be able to communicate uh, with one another. And effective communication, no duh, requires a deliverer and a receiver. But here's the deal. Even when there is a deliverer and a receiver, it doesn't mean communication happens. The way in which we deliver it could be delivered in such a way that it is not received, or at least not received well, or the way you intended it. And the way in which we receive it may mean that we're really kind of distracted and not really listening, and so we didn't really receive the information. And in that case, even when you have a deliverer and a receiver, it does not mean that effective communication has happened. This is how it plays out in marriage. Hey honey, I'd really like to talk to you about what's going on with the kids. And fellas, you know when this conversation happens, right? It's right in the middle of Texas OU weekend, right? That this this conversation seems to be brought up. And so we reply, "Uh uh-huh, sure, right? And we have one eye on the television, and in our peripheral vision, we have our spouse, right? Now, we have said and responded appropriately, but has communication taken place? Absolutely not. There's distraction there, In that kind of context. So we have a hearer, we have a deliverer, but we have not communication. Experts tell us that there are three parts to communicating, the verbal, the paraverbal, and the nonverbal. We try to communicate with our spouse. Words are very important. We're going to discuss that in just a moment. But according to research, words only convey 7% of your total message. Isn't that interesting? Then, paraverbal, meaning our tone of voice, accounts for 38% of how we are communicating. And then, our nonverbal cues, our facial expressions, our posture, our hand gestures, provide 55% of the message we are trying to send This is why texting and email often creates communication gaps. Because you don't see the tone of voice, and you don't see the posture, you don't see the paraverbal, nor do you see the nonverbal. So when we go back to our example, honey, I want to talk to you about the kids. Uh Uh-huh, sure. On paper, it looks like an appropriate response. But an experience, far from it. Now, in addition to the three ways in which we communicate... There are often di- also different levels of communicating. I came across a book called Why I'm Afraid to Tell You Who I Am by John Powell, and he outlines five levels of communication. I want to share those with you. Level one is cliche conversations, very surface level conversations. This is level one. Things like, How are you today? I'm fine. Right? This is. Surface level cliche conversations. Level two is reporting facts. This is where we just simply share what we know. It requires very little transparency on our part. And we're just sending information. Things like this. Have you heard about the weather today? No. Well, it's going to be an awesome day. And that is true of today, is it not? It's going to be an awesome day. But that's reporting facts. Level three is sharing ideas and opinions. Now, this is a little more risky, This level of conversation is a little more risky because the things that you share might not be viewed the same as the person hearing it. What did you think about the message last week in church? What do you think we ought to do with our finances? Uh, What do you think about the current political climate? There's some level of transparency here, and you share this information with a smaller group. Level four is sharing our feelings and emotions. Now, this is where we really begin to lay ourselves on the line. It requires a great deal of transparency. We typically only share this with people that are close to us, what I call, to, what I call the, the trust tree, right? We only share level four conversations with the trust tree. I feel hurt. I'm struggling. I was really offended when, right? That's level four. The deepest level of Communication is level five is open communication. This is, this is where we share who we really are. We, it requires absolute, complete uh, transparency. We typically reverse, reserve this uh, level of communication for one or two people in our lives. This is where there is total honesty, complete understanding, and vulnerability that we share with one another. Now, when it comes to marriage, all five levels of communication are important. You need to have all five. Because there are times when we need just informal conversations. We're just talking. We're just hanging out. There are times that we need to have administrative meetings. We need to talk about our family budget. There's also times that we need to be able to share our dreams and our challenges, share our fears, and even our mistakes with one another. The challenge in marriage comes when we often venture into level three and level four, but we never get to level five. And you know, it's been my experience as a pastor that there are many couples that dabble in levels three and levels four, but never make it to level five in their marriage relationship. And so the question then becomes, how do we get to level five Because I think if we were to all, uh, if we were all honest with one another, what we would desire out of our marriage relationship is that we do share level five kind of communication with one another. So how do we get there? How do we increase the effectiveness of our communication? Well, this is where the Bible comes to bear. This is what Ephesians chapter four teaches us. It teaches us the number two, the principles of effective communication. We've examined the parts now let's look at the principles. I want to speak about five foundations to effective communication. The first principle is to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. A healthy marriage, hear me, creates a culture within it of honesty. you got to create honesty. And the way you create honesty is to be able to speak the truth to one another, but to do so in love. Paul says this in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Well in your marriage relationship your closest neighbor is your spouse for we are members one of another. There again the two are no longer two but are one flesh. A couple of key points that I want to talk about regarding this verse. First what is falsehood? The word translated falsehood comes from a word that means to willfully misrepresent. In other words, to lie. Now, this word is used in two ways in the New Testament. Same word, two different contexts. First is lying by what we say. We can actually mistalk. We tell lies. Number two is we can lie by what we don't say. In other words, we withhold information. Falsehood means speaking and presenting dishonest things. And you and I can be dishonest by not sharing what is really on our heart. Now this is common in marriage, isn't it? We walk around on eggshells with one another. Don't want to offend the other person. Don't want to deal with the backlash of the other person. And so we withhold information. And when we're doing so, we're not speaking the truth. For example, your spouse comes in and says, Is everything okay? You seem like you're upset about something. And how do we misrepresent ourselves? We say, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. When really and truly it's not fine, right? That's an example of presenting falsehood. The idea that Paul is getting at here is that there is to be a constant and continual action of telling the truth. In other words, we're to be authentic, If you want a level five kind of level of of marriage and communication, you've got to be authentic. You've got to be honest with one another. Now, I know some of you right now, because I see it on your faces, you're like, I can't wait to get home. I'm going to tell him the truth, right? Now, there is a condition (laughs) that the Bible puts on this. In chapter four, verse 15, a few verses earlier, Paul says, instead, speaking the truth in love you got to speak the truth, but you have to do it in a spirit of love. I heard a pastor say, loveless truth and truthless love are equal wrongs. I like that. Loveless truth and truthless love are equal wrongs. The key is honest communication with one another that is rooted in true love toward one another. So we're to speak the truth in love. The second principle of effective communication, according to Paul, is to deal with anger appropriately. You need to deal with anger appropriately. Anyone here ever get angry with your spouse? No, don't answer that question. We want you to go home alive today, all right? The answer for all of us is yes. You live with someone, you're going to get mad with that person, right? And so when it comes to our marriage, it's not a matter of will you be angry, It's a matter of how do you deal with your anger. And it's important to deal with it appropriately. Verse 26 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The command that Paul assumes is that you will be angry. Okay, be angry. But just don't drift into a spirit of sin in your anger. Now, the words anger, be angry, and anger are two different words in the original language. When Paul says to be angry, that word means to be provoked. Something caused you to become upset. Paul says, be angry. That's okay. There are going to be times in which you provoke one another to anger. It's going to happen, right? The second word, anger, though, means a slowly built-up anger that leads to a seething response. This is where we drift into the area of sin in our lives. You could be provoked. You could be upset. But don't let it become a seething response. right? And the way in which we respond determines whether or not it is sinful. We must be careful in how we deal with our anger. Paul says, let me give you a, a, a guideline here. He says, be angry, do not sin, but do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, I've heard pastors say, don't go to bed angry, right? The point that Paul is trying to make is this, is keep short accounts. If you're upset and you keep stuffing it and stuffing it and stuffing it and you never deal with it, what's going to happen? It's going to erupt. And when you erupt, you are sure to venture into the area of sin, in your communication, right? So we got to deal with anger appropriately. You know what happens when you get frustrated, angry, and you just start stuffing it down? It's where your mind kicks into overdrive. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you, when your spouse makes you angry and you don't deal with your anger, well, then your mind starts recalling all of the times that they've made you angry, right? And then you start blame shifting, like, dude, that was totally her fault. Like, man, that's just, she did wrong. And then what you've done in your mind is you've cr- turned your spouse into a monster, right? Here's the deal. Paul says, give not the devil an opportunity, right? When we force our anger down, and we don't deal with it in an appropriate way, and we allow our minds to to venture. By the way, the mind is the devil's playground. And so when you do that, it becomes a mountain, when in reality, it's simply a molehill. Keep short accounts, deal with your anger appropriately, speak the truth in love. Number three, make communication a priority. You ought to make communication a priority. I already said earlier that we don't naturally travel down this road of having uh, deep conversations with one another. No, we, we, we venture the other way. So we must work at it. And I think that that's what Paul is getting at when he says what he says in verse 28. Read along with me. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This seems at first kind of like a tangent. Paul is talking about these communicating principles, and then now he's talking about stealing and sharing. Are they really related? Yes, they are. How do you know that? Because of the context. So what is Paul getting at here? Well, when we steal, it means that we are selfish in nature. It reveals a, a mentality of selfishness. But when we share, we are selfless. It reveals an attitude of selflessness. In order to get to level five communication in your marriage relationship, you've got to be selfless in the area of communication. That means that we make it a priority. One of the ways that, that, that spouses are selfish, they steal, is when they never want to have conversations. When they think, oh my goodness, this is going to potentially be a a tense situation. This is potentially great conflict. And so what happens is is they they just don't want to go there. And so they, they avoid the communication altogether. What happens when you avoid communicating? There will be a day of reckoning, right? Whenever you do that. And when you do, this is what happens. It becomes an unload session. And man, it's like the whole world is caving in. Well when we could have avoided that by simply having uh, regular uh, communication, making it a priority in our life. From time to time, we have in our house what we call family meetings. We'll call family meeting, right? Everybody in the living room, family meeting. When we first started doing that, uh, it was was to communicate major changes. For example, hey, we need to have a family meeting. It is, uh, God's moving us to another ministry context, Right. And so it got to be this point that whenever we would call a family meeting, our kids would be like, we're moving somewhere. Right. And it was this major deal. Right. Why? That's because we isolated that for specific events and it in their mind became for a specific reason. As we have called more regular family meetings just to hang out, just to meet, just to catch up with one another, that expectation has diminished in their heart. But we do that often in our marriages, right? We fail to call meetings, and they become these major unload sessions, and it's a drain to us. So we need to speak the truth in love, deal with anger appropriately, make communication a priority. The fourth principle is to be careful with your words. Be careful with your words. It is vitally important, fellas, that you think before you speak, right? Right? Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me lied, right? Because words matter. Words are hurtful. In fact, I bet you some of us here in this room, many of us, if not all of us in this room, we can point back to a time in our life where we recall with vivid memory when someone said something very hurtful to us. That's because words matter. And you need to be careful when you're, when you're communicating with your first love, your spouse, you need to be careful with the words that you let come out of your mouth. Paul says in verses 29 and 30, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I like that last verse. I think it's important whenever you talk about words matter because oftentimes if, if we're honest, when we say things, what are we trying to be? We're trying to be our spouse's Holy Spirit. I want to say something that really stings because you need to get right here. Listen, you are a terrible Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is really good at it. You work on building others up and let the Holy Spirit do, do the rest but he says, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths." We can damage the relationship with the person we love the most whenever we're lazy with our words. W- words matter. Proverbs eighteen twenty one says it this way: "Death and life are in the power of the tongue." James, in his book, the half brother of Jesus, says, "Who can tame the tongue?" Consider it such a small spark that sets a whole forest fire ablaze. Uh, Paul says we need to be careful with what we speak and make sure it's edifying to one another that it may give grace. Speak the truth in love. Deal with anger appropriately. Make communication a priority and be careful with your words. Final, the fifth principle to effective communication, as outlined by Paul here, is to extend forgiveness often. Extend forgiveness often. Hey, here's a newsflash. Neither you nor your spouse is perfect. Right? None of us are perfect. You will make mistakes, but you need to forgive each other often. Verses 31 and 32 say it this way. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Why? Listen, in a marriage, when there is bitterness and wrath and anger, the end is near. you got to put away all of that. Well, how do you put away all of that? Along with all kinds of malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Now, the word forgiving is a very interesting word. It's a word that means to show favor freely. In other words, extending forgiveness is something that is not merited, but it is freely given. We forgive one another when the other person doesn't deserve it. That's what this word forgiving means. But we often in marriage, we want revenge, don't we? We say in our mind, well, you can't do that. I'm not going to let you get away with that. And man, this revengeful spirit starts taking root and then we become bitter and angry. And then it builds up into just all of our wrath being spewed out. When you can avoid that by simply forgiving your spouse. So speak the truth in love. Deal with anger appropriately. Make communication a priority. Be careful with your words and extend forgiveness often. So we've looked at the parts and we've looked at the principles. Now in the time that we have left, let's talk about the practice of effective communication. What are some practical ways that we can begin to implement this in our marriage and in our family? First, establish regular rhythms. Quality conversation, level five conversations, happen in the midst of quantity conversations. And quantity conversations require regular rhythms of communicating with one another. You need to schedule times. You know, you could tell what your greatest priority is by simply looking at your calendar. Your spouse ought to be one of your top priorities in your calendar. You have to schedule Times to communicate. And listen, this kind of communication needs to be done face-to-face. I've heard some say kneecap to kneecap, heart to heart. Now, ladies are really good at face-to-face conversation. This is why they have tea. They sit at a table, and they sip their tea, and they talk back and forth, and you can't get a word in edgewise, right? Fellas, we have a tendency to communicate shoulder-to-shoulder. We can watch a football game, not share one word with one another, and it was the best time of our life, just bumping on the way out the door, right? Ladies are face-to-face, men are shoulder-to-shoulder. Listen, in in marriage, your communication has to be face-to-face. If you ever get to a point where you're shoulder-to-shoulder, you're just one step away from being back-to-back, and then you're in all kinds of mess. Face-to-face, heart-level conversation is vitally important important. Did you know that this is really the heart behind our Trinity Date Night Challenge on social media? It's not just to see fun pictures, although it's been a lot of fun watching some of your pictures. It's to get you face-to-face, to to get you to a place where you can communicate on a heart-to-heart kind of level. If you need some help, spurring conversation, let me give you a couple of questions to ask each other. Questions like, what are you dreaming about right now? Or what are you concerned about? What concerns you the most right now? Or what's been the high of your week or the low of your week? The point is is that level five conversations happen in the context of regular rhythms. Second, practical advice is to avoid superlatives. Avoid superlatives. You guys know what superlatives are, right? Right? They're exaggerated hyperbole. In high school, it is uh, the most likely to succeed, right? That's a superlative. Or in my case, the dorkiest person, right? That's, that's superlative. It's, it's extreme exaggeration. This is how we use superlatives in marriage, by beginning sentences with the words always and never. You need to avoid sentences that begin with always and never. You never say I love you anymore. You always choose work over our family. Why is it important to avoid superlatives, avoid those words? Well, because they're never true. To say you always and to say you never is to begin an untrue statement. He never says I love you, really? Now, us fellas, we need to be better about this because in our mind, we could say I love you a week ago and we're good, right? I said I love you, right? Uh, But we also say I love you with with our actions. Uh, She always chooses her friends over time with you. Really? Always? Is that really the case? There might be areas that we need to work on. So how do you address those areas by avoiding superlatives? Let me give you... Uh, the way to begin that conversation. They're called I feel statements. I feel blank when you blank. I feel neglected when you work long hours. I feel hurt when you don't say I love you when you leave in the morning. These statements communicate your feelings in a way that could be more so received always and never puts the other person automatically on the defensive. I feel creates good communication. Create regular rhythms, avoid superlatives. Thirdly, resolve conflict quickly. Resolve conflict quickly. You know, Scripture, I think, sets a great example for us in saying I'm sorry often. Now, for some of us, those are the most bitter words we can ever let out of our mouths. Right? You're thinking it's hard to be sorry when I'm right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but here's the deal. Listen, it's not about right and wrong. It's not about wins and losses. It's about how do we relate with one another. If you are in the right and wrong, wins and losses, you will never have a relationship. And so it's vitally important to avoid that. Say I'm sorry often. Surely there's some way which you can be apologetic. And by the way, the way you can extend, the way you can learn to extend forgiveness is to follow the rhythm of breathing. You you think about it. We breathe in and we breathe out. We breathe in and we breathe out. You breathe in God's forgiveness so that you can extend God's forgiveness. You accept and invite God's forgiveness in your own life so that you can then extend it to your spouse and to others. Paul said it this way, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God and Christ forgave you. When we breathe in God's forgiveness, it's remembering that we've been forgiven. And when we remember the forgiveness that has been bestowed upon us, we're more apt to be able to extend that to others. A husband might think, well, you don't know what she's like, how she frustrates me to no end. But do you deserve God's unconditional love any more than her? No. Breathe in God's grace so you can breathe out God's grace. A wife might say, well, you don't understand how he treats me. He seems to take me for granted. Well, do you deserve God's compassion any more than him? No. Breathe in God's mercy so that you can breathe out God's mercy. You can resolve a lot of conflict in your marriage simply by realizing how you have benefited from forgiveness. Jesus said it this way, He who has been forgiven much loves much. That's powerful, isn't it? When we remember the forgiveness that has been shown to us, we're more likely to extend God's forgiveness to others. Remember God's forgiveness towards you, and you'll be able to give God's forgiveness to your spouse. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to TrinityTX.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.